All right. Hey, we're going to get into our message now. Um, Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us online again. Again, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's really great to have wonderful people serving in our church like Kevin and Donnie and so, so many others. But today we are diving in to a brand new series. As you can see on the screen behind me, it's called Expectant, a feeling that something is about to happen. And really what we're after in this series is a couple of things. First and foremost, we are celebrating and anticipating the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah, come into the the world to redeem us and rescue us and restore us. We're celebrating that again through Christmas this year. So this whole series is going to be aimed at that truth and that reality that we know about. But second, and and equally as important in this series, I want to ask that we would consider what it means to live as expectant people. What it means to live a life where we expect that God will show up and that we're committed to following him when he does. We're committed to obeying him and yielding to him and surrendering to him when he shows up in our world and in our lives. And to do this, to kind of talk about this expectant life, we're gonna look at a number of different characters, all of whom are in the Christmas story and are called to live expectantly. We're gonna look at a number of characters throughout the series. Today, I wanna look at one of my favorites, a guy by the name of Joseph. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Joseph's story begins in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is just a remarkable little passage, one again of my favorites. And we'll start um, by reading God's word, Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Friends, I I know you've heard this story before, but let me again set this scene for you. This is is a Jewish marriage. In Jewish marriage, they did things a little differently than we do. We have a two-phase system. They have a three-phase system. There's three phases to a Jewish marriage. Phase one was called engagement. It often happened between the parents of the bride and the groom. They would talk. They would talk about their children being married and a bride price would be agreed to. This is the amount of money that the groom and his family would pay the bride's parents for her hand in marriage. As a guy with two daughters, I think we should bring this tradition back home. My girls are worth a ton, so don't come with any cheap offers. But, but this was how it worked in the Jewish world. They would agree to an engagement. That was phase one engagement. Similar to our, to our world, a little different. Phase one, engagement. Then phase two. Phase two of Jewish marriage was called betrothal. And this is where the bride and groom would come together to take vows. They were pledged to be married. They would pledge marriage to one another. This is sort of like our wedding ceremonies today. And according to our passage, Mary and Joseph are in this phase of marriage. They have been betrothed. They have pledged marriage to one another. This was also the moment when the bride price would be paid. The the funds that were agreed to in phase one would now be handed over to the bride's parents. But here's where things get a little different because that sounds a lot like our wedding ceremonies, but, but here's where things go a little bit different in the Jewish world. During phase two, during betrothal, during this pledged to be married phase, the couple would not move in together. They would not have relations. They would not begin married life. Instead, 
they would each move home and they would prepare to be husband and wife. They would spend about a year in their parents' house getting ready to be married. This was a year of of abstinence. It was a year of, of sexual purity. And then at the end of this time period, about a year, they would enter phase three. And phase three of the marriage was called consummation. This is where, of course, the couple would move in together and begin the normal rhythms of married life. So again, let's go back in our story. In Mary and Joseph's story at this point, they are betrothed, but they have not consummated. They are both living apart in this, during this year for, for abstinence and sexual purity, getting ready for consummation and moving in together. And our story says that in this phase, something happens. Actually, what happens is that God shows up and everything starts to get messy. God shows up And all of a sudden, Joseph's wife, the girl he's betrothed to, the girls he's taken vows with, the girl he's waiting to move in with and begin his married life with, she turns up pregnant. Friends, here's point one. Living expectantly means anticipating being in over your head. Living expectantly means anticipating being in over your head, having to face things that you're not ready for, prepared for, and that you could never have dreamed of. You see, our problem as 21st century American Christians is often that we believe when we invite God into our lives, when we seek him, when we decide to follow him, he's actually gonna lead us down a path of ease and tranquility. We have this sort of deep-seated belief that to follow Jesus means that life will be neat and clean and simple and scandal-free. And yet, time and time again, all throughout the scripture, in story after story, including this one, that is simply not the case. In fact, it could not be further from the truth. Think about the people in the Bible who follow God. Think about their lives. Think about what they face. Think about the things he leads them into. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Esther, Daniel, the disciples, over and over and over and over again. In the scriptures, this is what we find. If you live expectantly, if you live with this idea that God is going to show up, that he is going to act and move, and that you're going to follow him, you at some point will find yourself in a place where you are in over your head. And friends, that is Joseph here. His wife, who he hasn't been with yet, shows up pregnant. She's got this story about the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to think, you know, Joseph thought to himself, of course, God, no problem. Thanks for the opportunity. I've got this. Because he's a Bible character, right? And Bible characters always perfectly follow the Lord. False. That is not how Joseph responds. That is not how he responds to this news. Here's what he says in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her, that's Mary, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's response to this news is, we're getting divorced. Now, before you're too hard on Joseph, we do learn something about his character here. And we learn it in in a couple of different ways because there were two possible avenues for him when it came to divorce. In the ancient world, there were two kinds of divorce. The first one was a very public divorce. 
It's a divorce where you proved that the girl had been unfaithful to you and he could have proved it, right? She was pregnant. It, in this, on this path, the girl would have been publicly shamed. She would have been disgraced in front of the entire town. But, but if Joseph took this path, the bride price would have been refunded to him and his family. He would have got his money back. But the other path, the other path of divorce was the more quiet way. It was more subtle. It was much less public. It was much less shaming. It was handled behind the scenes. But on this path, the more quiet divorce path, the bride price would not be refunded. It would help the reputation of your fiance, but you wouldn't get your money back. So, so even though in this moment, Joseph doesn't fully believe Mary, doesn't believe her enough to move forward, we also see a graciousness in him. We also see that there is this sacrifice that he makes for her. We see a man here who's righteous, even in the face of his own hurt, pain, and betrayal. I'll say that again. In this story, we see a man who's righteous, even in the face of his own hurt, pain, and betrayal. And friends, that's point number two. Living expectantly means living righteously even when you don't feel like it. Even when your, your emotions and the world is telling you to go a different direction. Even when that other person doesn't deserve your grace. Living expectantly means living righteously even when you don't feel like it. Why? Because you expect that God's going to show up. You expect that he's going to do something great even in the midst of your mess. That's what we see in Joseph here. And now verse 20. But after he had considered this, this divorce, this quiet divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is great news, isn't it? This is the guidance and the direction Joseph has been looking for. But before we go too far, I want you to notice again the very first phrase of, of this section. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, after he had considered, this is, this is after, this is after Joseph, Joseph has already talked to Mary and she's told him that she's pregnant. This is after the tears that she's shed and the heartbreak he's felt. This is after the days or weeks or maybe even months of him agonizing over what in the world he should do, what path he should take, how this could possibly have happened. This is after conversation after conversation where she pleads with him to believe her, but he just simply can't. And so here's my question. In the middle of this, this Christmas story where God's at work doing this great thing, why does God make Joseph wait? Why does God not send the angel to tell Joseph at the same time he tells Mary? Why does Mary have to break the news to him? Why can't God do it for her? I mean, if Joseph had only known ahead of time, then he wouldn't have had to go through all that stress and struggle and doubt and worry and pain and heartbreak, and he wouldn't have had to put Mary through it either. Friends, God could have skipped all of that for him if the angel had just shown up sooner, but he doesn't. Why? Well, friends, maybe struggle removal 
is not God's number one goal for Joseph here. Maybe that's not God's number one goal for you or me either. Because here's the third point. Living expectantly means God will give direction in his timing, not in ours. God will give direction in his timing, not in ours. You see, what I'm sure Joseph wanted when Mary told him this news, he wanted some direction. He wanted to know where God was leading him, where God was taking him. He wanted some confirmation from the Lord about what he was supposed to do. Just give me some guidance here, God. I can imagine him crying out to heaven. But God didn't give that to him right away. He made Joseph wait. He made him wrestle. And friends, God often does the same thing with you and me. Maybe you're in the midst of that right now. Maybe you're looking for some answers from God. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you're looking for some direction or some clarity or or a vision or a path to go down and you keep asking God and it doesn't seem like he's saying anything. His timing, not yours. One of my very favorite stories that I often go back to in, in times of uncertainty is about this guy who was seeking God's will for his life. And so he asked Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me that God would give me clarity about where I'm supposed to go? And Mother Teresa said, no, I won't pray that for you. In fact, she said, clarity is not what you need. Clarity is what you want, but it's not what you need. What you need is faith. What you need is to trust in the Lord. And so that is what I will pray for you. You see, friends, we often long for clarity and we ask God for clarity, but what God wants us to have is faith. And so he offers direction in his timing, not in ours. Living expectantly means trusting God even when the path is unclear. This is our next point. This is point number four. Because God shows up. God shows up, right? He does give direction. He does make the path clear. Eventually the angel shows up, tells Joseph exactly what's happening, exactly what to do. And maybe you're like me. I'm in this story and I'm thinking, yeah, Joseph does the right thing, right? He starts to move towards God's plan and down his path. Of course he does. God sent an angel. If God sent me an angel, I'd do exactly what the angel said. God's never sent an angel to visit me. He's never given me direction in that way. I've wanted that a few times. It hasn't happened, but if it did happen, I promise you this, I would listen, I would obey, I would follow God if he would send an angel. But notice something in this story because we wanna make it a little more simple than it actually is. The first thing the angel angel says to Joseph is this, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Do not be afraid. You see, even though God has given very clear direction, it's direction that will require faith. It's direction that will require courage. It's direction that will require Joseph to face his fears. Friends, point five, living expectantly means God will often call you to face your fears. Walking with God and following him in this world means that he's gonna call you to look your fears right in the eye and to face them. That's gonna have to happen more times than you'd expect. And the question is, what's Joseph afraid of here? What's scary about this path? I'll tell you. Friends, Joseph is afraid of what this decision will mean for his life because it will have big implications. Joseph has seen this story play out before. 
He knows that his friends are never going to accept this story that he and Mary are offering. Oh yeah, sure, Joseph, an angel came. She's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right, whatever you say. Joseph's gone crazy. He knows what they're gonna say behind his back. And he and Mary will no longer be treated the same as they were before. They're no longer gonna be invited to other couples' houses for dinner. Joseph and his family, because of this path, because of this decision, because of this story, they will suffer. His business will suffer. He will never again be admired or respected. And the people will glance glance at him and whisper and point at him and talk behind his back for the rest of his life because that's what happens in small towns. Joseph's afraid because he understands this. He understands what this path means from him, for him. But Joseph decides to do it. He decides to follow God. He decides to walk this path. Here's what it says. Joseph did what the angel commanded him. That seems like such a simple little statement. It seems like kind of like a no-brainer, but it's huge. Joseph did what the angel had commanded him. He takes that step. He walks that path. Why? Because here's what Joseph understands. And this is our sixth and final point today. Living expectantly means caring more about what God thinks than what others think. Living expectantly, to live an expectant life, you have to care more about what God thinks than what others think. Joseph did what the angel had commanded him. And specifically, what Joseph does in this story is two things. We read about him in verses 24 and 25. First, we're told he takes Mary home as his wife. That's a very legal and public thing that he does. He takes Mary home as his wife. This is the final step of the marriage process. He completes the marriage. This is phase three. This is consummation. Joseph says, yes, we're gonna, we're gonna finish this thing out. Then it says in the next verse that he named the baby. Friends, for us, naming a baby, that's kind of a fun activity. We pull out the baby books. We look through all the names. We talk about what grandma was named. Could we name after this family member or that family member? Should the child be, you know, a junior named after mom or dad? We want to use a middle name. Like all sorts of, sorts of fun and stress around naming a baby. We have some young couples on our staff right now who are having babies, who are going through that process. And it's really fun to kind of walk with them through all of that. But in the ancient world, in this first century Jewish world, naming a baby had a little bit more of a formal legal aspect to it. In fact, by naming this child, Joseph is publicly adopting him as his son. This is an official step to say, yeah, that kid, that child that my wife had, even though he's not mine physically, he is my kid. I am adopting him as my own. So friends, don't miss this. In a very public and legal way, Joseph has now deliberately tied his destiny to the lives of two people with significantly stained reputations. The way people think about and talk about Joseph in this town is now forever changed. In fact, in Mark chapter six, this is, this is years later. Jesus is now a grown man. He's launched into his ministry and he goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth. And while he's there, he preaches and he performs miracles and people are blown away by him. They cannot believe it. But then, then in verse three, here's what Mark writes for us. 
A person from the town says this, and Mark records it. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And we don't know the tone of voice that was used, but we can only imagine. It wasn't a real positive statement. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And we know that because to refer to a man in this way it was kind of an ancient slam or, or a dig or a criticism. If my, if my kids were there, they might have said something like, ooh, Jesus, shots fired, or you just got finessed. I don't know if you're hearing those kind of words around your house these days, but I am all the time. Anyway, the point is this. This is not a nice comment. This is a mean comment. This is a slam. This is a dig. Jesus just gets some shots fired his way because a man in Israel was always referred to as the son of his father. That's how you talked about men in Israel, but not for Jesus. To refer to him any other way was an insult, but not for Jesus here. He's not referred to as the son of his father, not in Nazareth, not where they know the story of his birth, not where Joseph's reputation has been forever stained. You see, even in Nazareth, even decades later, people still think of Joseph in connection to this story. His reputation has never recovered. And friends, as we close out, I just want you to remember this and think about this. That's the family that Jesus grew up in. That's the family where Jesus spent his childhood. That's the family where Jesus was raised, a family that knew firsthand what it felt like to be regarded as spiritually second class, as beneath other people. You know, I wonder... We don't know in the scriptures, but I wonder, did Jesus ever get teased or made fun of by the other kids in town because of this story? Did he ever notice that his dad, that Joseph, got treated not the same as all the other dads? That he didn't get included in the things that they got included in? Friends, maybe part of why Jesus had such a heart for unrespectable people is that he was raised in a family by a father who sacrificed his respectability to follow the Lord. Maybe that's why Jesus could relate to those people and loved them so much. Maybe one reason that Jesus had so much compassion for women, women who to society were nothing more than walking scandals, is that he knew what it meant to his mom that his dad had stuck by her when she was single and pregnant and vulnerable and alone. You see, when Joseph made the decision to wed Mary, he thought it was the end of his reputation as a righteous man. And in an earthly sense, in some ways it was, but what he didn't know, what Joseph didn't fully understand yet, was that the child he would adopt would bring a new kind of righteousness to the human race. You see, Joseph laid down his righteousness, but Jesus brought a whole new righteousness. What Joseph didn't know is that God would use him on this scandalous, scary path to change the world. Friends, that, that a that a small town unknown carpenter from Nazareth, God would use him to teach his son about what expectantly following the Lord looks like. And so this year, friends, as we move into the Christmas season, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas and the birth of the Messiah, I want you to think about the story of the baby boy born to the virgin in Bethlehem. But don't just think about him. Think about his earthly father, Joseph. And let Joseph inspire you to live a life expectant of what God could do in 
and through your life today. Amen.